The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Over the past three weeks, we've been discussing the concept of a gift exchange and uh, how God takes the measly things we have to offer and exchanges them for much greater things. Our hearts have been turned toward the amazing message of hope, uh, joy, peace, and so we've been able to really focus on that over the last few weeks, and it's been a special time. Um, I'd like to pray as we begin our time together. Dear God, we are thankful that we get to be together as a body, that you've created this uh, group of people that have come together from all walks of life, who get to bond together in unity over your son, Jesus. We pray that as we look to your word to learn more about how much you love us, that we'll take great comfort in that, but we'll also let it inspire action in us as well. In your name we pray, amen. So when I say the word uh, likes or like, what comes to your mind? So when I think of the word like or likes, now if you're a little older like I am, you might look at this image and say, I remember those days <laughs> when you would write little notes and like check the box. Like nowadays it's like pass the phone, I don't know, whatever. But like back in the day it was like check the box. I didn't get a lot of these, but I gave a lot of them. But uh, <laughs> if I gave any out, it was like, you know, maybe, I don't know, probably not. But that might be an image you get when you think of like, Nowadays, oftentimes, it's more technology-driven, and so we see this button, and we can click like, and, or if you're on Twitter or other things, where you, or Instagram, when you heart it, and other things like that. But when you think about likes nowadays, it's kind of interesting, you know. I don't know about you, but I, I don't do this too often, and I get corrected when I don't. But maybe some of you take the time to perfectly craft a tweet or a Facebook message or something like that where you want to get the wording just right. Or you want to get that picture just right and hold that phone just in the right angle, you know, that you don't get the double chin or whatever, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> so you're, you're trying to get likes, you're trying to, I don't know, feel good about yourself or you want to get the message across that you're talking about. And so you really take this time to to gain these likes and you even maybe check with your friend or spouse. I'm learning I need to check with my spouse more when I post things. Uh, <laughs> there's lots of problems there, grammar and appropriate things to post. But sometimes we start obsessing even about the number of likes or, or retweets or, or hearts we get, you know, and it's all about getting these likes and, and we're so obsessed with it, we may post something and I know maybe you don't do this, but maybe once in a while I'll do this to check to see how many likes did this get, right? And if it's not the number you anticipated, you know, maybe you start feeling a little bad about yourself and, uh, you know, metaphorically, you know, you start turning to dust like Thanos just snapped his fingers or something. All of a sudden your existence, some, pe some people got that, I, that's good. <laughs> Uh, so you, you, you have this experience where it's like, hmm, there weren't enough likes and we're, we're going toward likes, but I'm not getting enough of those. I'm not getting enough appreciation or attention. It's kind of interesting that we offer God a similar relationship. 
Although that's a technology-driven conversation that we often offer God well before technology came along, we've been doing this long, a long, long time of doing the same thing with God where we can like the food that he provides for us. We can like the inspirational song he just happened to send our way in that morning when we needed it. We like most of the time our family and friends when they get together, right? It's Christmas, you gotta get, you gotta get used to it this week. It's gonna happen, right? And so we like these certain things, but how quick are we to hit the dislike or unlike or unfollow button when God brings things your way when things aren't quite working out? When we've lost our job, when our, when our kids are acting more like monsters than actual humans. When there's more conflict in our relationships than there's peace. And we oftentimes can just dislike and check out and say, God, if this is it, then I don't really like it and I'm not following. And so oftentimes we treat God in the same way where we, we take our likes and we offer them to him, but we also take them back when things aren't working out. You know, of all the topics of conversation, of all the themes, of all the insights we can consider this Christmas season, there's none greater than love. Talked about hope, talked about peace, talked about joy, but without love, that's something without a foundation. And so we come together today to look at how God can take these likes of ours that are up and down, that are wishy-washy at times, and he can put it into a love that's foundational, a deep, selfless love that's impossible without the Spirit, without the Father, and without the birth of his son, Jesus. See, God has come in Jesus to get us off this roller coaster of likes and unlikes into something far deeper, far more rewarding. It's a relationship of love that has no limits. This time of year, it, be, it brings a sea of fictional things in our lives. A sea of fictional things like stories about Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus, Miracle on 34th Street, Christmas Vacation, Polar Express, Charlie Brown Christmas, Elf, Home Alone, and 136 Hallmark movies. <laughs> I know this because I Googled it. I can say, honestly, I've never seen one in my life and I thank God every day, but for those of you who love them, I'm sorry if I offended you, but there's 136 of them, 136. And it brings us to this point where we are inundated and just overwhelmed with fictional stories in this season. And if we're not careful what happens with the story of Jesus and the birth of God's son, the physical birth of God's son, it just becomes another fiction. It becomes another story that we tell, but not something that becomes real to us. It's just lumped in with everything else we have going on, whether it's uh, activities or, or things that um, maybe shopping or shows or even those plays your kids do that you absolutely love, right? At school and things like that. You know, and so it becomes this just fictional situation that gets lumped in with all these other things. As Tim Keller puts it, if Christmas is just a nice legend, 
in a sense, you're on your own. But if Christmas is true, then you have been saved by grace. This is not fiction we're talking about. This is not just a cool story or an amazing uh, occurrence that didn't really happen. This actually happened, that God sent his son Jesus to be born of a virgin named Mary. So we're gonna take some time to separate fact from fiction. If you wanna turn to Luke chapter two, that'll be the first passage we'll look at today. Luke chapter two, where you can find this story of Jesus. Luke one talks all about the prophecy and how uh, Jesus would come and Mary's great song that she sings after hearing about being chosen to carry the future Messiah. And then we get into Luke 2, that talks about the actual birth just briefly. It says, verse one, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cyrenius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There's a lot of stuff you can get into just in that passage alone about the reality, the, the real nature of what took place, the fact that they were drawn there and, and beckoned there to be in that spot, this little town of Bethlehem that was prophesied so long ago, hundreds of years before, a real town that existed, a real place of Bethlehem to the point that we see him being born of Mary and they're wrapping him in swaddling clothes, that idea that he's in that scene, that it's in a manger, not a bassinet, but a dirty, nasty manger where, where animals ate out of. And you have all the nasty smells, and you have the nasty, the, the noises or the things that are keeping you awake. I, you know, even as a mom maybe sitting here, like it's bad enough to have 8 million residents walking in on you at Scott and White, right? Imagine having cows in the room too, right? Sheep, goats, and here it is. But it, what, what is great about it, it gives you the opportunity to almost sense and smell, even though it's unfortunate, but to smell and, and to really feel what's going on, which is an actual event, a literal historical event that took place, the birth of the son, Jesus. But we don't stop there in the story. If we stop there, we just leave him as a baby. He's just another fictional story, a cute little story we bring up once a year around this time. But it moves on and talks about his life in the Gospels. And then you, if you jump over to 1 John chapter 1, you can see John talking about this physical occurrence, this actual person that came to live. And if you're OCD, I apologize. You are right now unliking the scripture reference on the screen because it says 1 John 4, not 1 John 1. So I believe that, yeah, I'm sorry about that, Candace and others. Uh, but it says here in the scriptures, 1 John 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. See, John wanted the readers to understand this was a physical human being. Jesus didn't just come as a baby in a fictional way and he's just a cute story. That he actually lived a life. He lived with brothers and sisters. He had interaction with other people. He was a carpenter. He learned to trade. He was annoyed by his brothers. Maybe, you know, in a, in a godly way, can you annoy somebody? I don't know, but he had temptations uh, just like we have. And he experienced them in a physical way, in an emotional way, in a spiritual way, and it's a reality. John says, look, I've seen him. I've touched him. I've shaken his hand. And I don't know if they did this back then. Maybe he slapped him five. The reality is he interacted with him. They ate together even after he rose from the dead. So we see this is a physical thing. And I love the fact that in verse two, it includes, they proclaim eternal life. This baby that we celebrate this week, this birth of the Messiah, turned into the one who would bring eternal life, everlasting life a relationship with the Father. And then he says, you know what? We couldn't help it. We just can't help ourselves. We have to tell you about it. It reminds me of Acts chapter four, verse 19 and 20. Peter and John were dragged before the council and they're facing potential death. They're facing definite imprisonment, but they're facing potential death. And what do they do? In Acts They say, we can't help it. In that scripture, it says in verse 19 and 20, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. And they say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Facing death. These men couldn't help but speak of the reality of who God was. The real person of God. And as Chase reminded us last week, the message of Christmas brings deep, lasting joy. It says we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In the face of suffering, they had joy. In the face of death, they had joy. And it could only come because of the love of God through his son. Former atheist and skeptic Lee Strobel wrote a book called Case for Christ. If you haven't read that, I highly recommend it. And if you're a kid in this room or a student, get the student edition. It has pictures and graphs and not to offend you, but that's what I like and it helps me understand things. Uh, But he wrote this book, Case for Christ. It's kind of a long quote, but it's powerful and important. It says, it's like this. If you love a person, your love goes beyond the facts of that person. It's rooted in the facts about that person. For example, you love your wife because she's gorgeous, she's nice, she's sweet, she's kind. All these things are facts about your wife and therefore you love her, but your love goes beyond that. You can know all these things about your wife and not be in love with her and put your trust in her, but you do 
So the decision goes beyond the evidence, yet is there also on the basis of the evidence. So it is with falling in love with Jesus to have a relationship with Jesus Christ goes beyond just knowing the historical facts about him. Yet it's rooted in the historical facts about him. I believe in Jesus on the basis of the historical evidence, but my relationship with Jesus goes way beyond the evidence. I have to put my trust in him and walk with him on a daily basis. So I love how oftentimes in scripture, our relationship with Jesus is compared to a marriage. God designed it that way. He designed for us to be the bride of Christ. And so even in this quote, we see this example. And I think about it this way. It made me think of uh, my relationship with Candace and how it started. So my wife Candace and I went to Liberty University and uh, somehow I ended up being an RA in my dorm. I don't know, for those that know me, they're laughing. Thank you, Seth. But it is laughable that I somehow became an RA. And uh, they put me in charge of this dorm. And uh, the first time I met Candace was actually she was dating a guy a couple doors down from my room. And I remember thinking to myself, because I knew this guy and I was really arrogant, I thought to myself, she could do a lot better. <laughs> and somehow I was the better. I don't know. It was just... <laughs> The way, you know, just the way you think back, back then. <laughs> and so I remember, and but the, here's the deal, not to, the reality is his friends would have said the same thing, for real. But anyway, uh, I, I remember, and she would agree. Uh, so I remember like thinking to myself, oh, just like in that quote, you know, she's gorgeous, you know, she's funny. And I, I, I liked her long before I loved her. I liked a lot of things about her. And it drew me to her, and I didn't go breaking them up, uh, not that I could have, but uh, they broke up, and then, because he did something stupid, surprise, uh, and then I swooped in. So the reality is this, there was a like a long time before there was a love, but what drew me to her were things I liked about her, but that relationship is so much deeper now than anything superficial that was initial, uh, an initial contact there. And this is what's described here, that we can like things about Jesus. A lot of people say he's a good teacher. He was a good teacher. He was a great man. He was kind. He was loving. He helped the poor. He helped the needy. And you can like a lot of stuff about Jesus. But it doesn't leave us there. We get the privilege of just liking him. We have to do something with him. We have to choose to trust in him or not. And that's where it becomes love. That where, that's where it becomes deeper. So we see that this real person, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, he embodies the great love that God has for us. See, God's love, it doesn't start here in the manger. God's love goes all the way back to the garden and even before that. The reality is his love starts there and it continued through the Old Testament. We've been going through, we, put pa we hit pause on our series in Abraham, but we hit pause at a pretty dark time, right? For those that have been around, there's been some horrible things that have taken place. And we've seen you know, stories of murder, rape, rebellion, wandering, judgment, exile, unfaithfulness, continued disobedience from the chosen people and his own leaders were the leaders in this disobedience. 
Yet we see a steadfast love that never wavered and still never wavers. Steadfast love. The steadfast love runs all the way through the Old Testament and through the manger to the cross. I've been doing this two-year Bible reading plan lately. Some of you say, why not a one-year? And I will say, because I'm not as disciplined as you. Maybe some of you are on the five-year, I don't know. But a reading plan is always good to try to keep you accountable. I just didn't want a one-year because I'd feel really bad about myself because I'd be 30 to 40 days behind. But a two-year Bible reading plan has kind of gotten me at the end of the book of Psalms. And there's something that continues or continually strikes me as I read the scripture in Psalms, uh, starting in the beginning and going into chapter 150, is the mention of two words, steadfast love. It's almost mentioned as many times as there are Hallmark movies. For real, I looked it up. I was like, I keep seeing this, underline, 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 underline. How many times is this mentioned, steadfast love? It's actually 127 times in Psalms, steadfast love. That's a powerful thing. If you turn to Psalm 136, we can look at 26 of those 127. We're not going to look at all of them, but if you look at 26 verses in Psalm 136, it's mentioned in every single one of those verses. We'll just look at Psalm 136, verse one through four. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. You can finish the sentence. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. We could have taken this entire time, read those 26 verses over and over again, and just gone home. That's how powerful this is to think about the reality of God's steadfast love. You think about that word steadfast, and I don't know definitions off of my head, so I had to Google it, of course. Steadfast is resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. Now, one person I thought of as soon as I saw this was uh, my dad. And I thought of that, yes, he is a man of character, but I thought of that more in the way that he would answer me when uh, I asked him if I could do something that he didn't want me to do. And he would answer no. My dad would answer no, and he wasn't a guy that you just came back to and said, hey, can I do that thing I just asked you about five minutes ago? He, he's a former military guy, so it's like, look, I told you no, that's it. So for me, it was like, I go ask mom. This happened last night in our car, actually. Some young man on the second row was asking for her phone, and he wore her down to the point where he, he got the phone. But for my dad, it was like, look, I told you, so what do I do? I go ask mom. No offense to my mom, but in this sense, she was wavering. In the other sense, my dad's like, nope, I said what I said. I meant what I said, right? And in this situation, though, I think if we go deeper, we, we can even see better pictures of this, like uh, Mary, someone who was steadfast in her love, someone who was unwavering in 
the face of ridicule, the face of being ostracized, the the face of being the one who's carrying a baby and she's not married. And here's Mary being willing to say, yes, I'm all in to carry the son of God. I also think of our pastor Gary is unwavering from truth. The fact that he stayed focused on the word and he taught us well. He shepherded us well in unwavering nature. And here's God, steadfast love, the steadfast love that led him to offer his only son. So this great love that God has for us embodied in his son also though should be seen in us. It's not good enough that we see it, okay, it's not fiction to us. I see it as something real. There was a baby squirming around, probably crying uh, in the manger, so it's real. It's not enough to know about his love, to see that it's gone from this liking thing to something deeper. It's, It's not enough to see that, just like in Acts 4, we see that we can't help but just speak. It should be to the point where it just comes out of us. We act in a way that is loving. We see a need and we meet it. We see someone hurting and we pray with them. It's just a natural thing when we experience this great love. First John, if you want to turn over there, First John 4. I think that's where the original slide was going. First John 4, verse 9. gives us a great challenge to think about actions. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So being rooted and grounded, if we look at Ephesians chapter three, that we prayed over one another, being rooted and grounded in God's matchless love displayed in his son, it drives us to love others in real ways. Ways you can see, feel, touch, experience versus just saying that I know love, but it's a physical action that results from being rooted and grounded in this love. What makes me think about that is this past Thanksgiving and Christmas season with our gift drive at TBC. See, being a local outreach pastor, I have the privilege of watching people in action, watching people who go to prisons, people who go uh, down the road to to lead Bible studies in in different subdivisions and apartments, people who give of their time to develop sports ministries around here. Just so many different things that I have the privilege of watching firsthand. One thing I want to stress and I want us to understand is that these things that we do as brothers and sisters in Christ I don't ever want us to think of them as projects. 
that the people we interact with, the people that may be in need, the people that may be in our community that might not be as well off as maybe some of you, that we don't look down on them, that we don't look at them as, oh, well, it's Christmas time. I guess it's time to give some money, right? It's Christmas. Grab a card. Let's get a few gifts. And somehow we're up here and the people we interact with are somehow down here when in reality, in Jesus' ministry, if you looked at his life, he treated those in need with great respect. So for us as a body, this is just a chance for us to be encouraged to say, look, these are our friends. These are our neighbors. This is our backyard. This is our community. So when we have the gift drive and the food drive, it isn't just to look at people and say, oh, here's some stuff, enjoy your life. Instead, now it is a luncheon where we invite everybody together and to sit down with one another and have a meal together and talk about our lives and interact together to the point where they're invited into fellowship, into small group, into the body of Christ to enjoy the time together. And this is what I got to see personally over the last few months of many of you giving of your money, giving of your time, giving of your, uh, what's happening right now? Uh, it's like voice activated. I don't know <clears throat> what's going on. Uh, you guys are fired. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry, that wasn't loving. Um, being able to give of your time, give of your money, give the gifts that, that God has blessed you with, but not in a way that is demeaning, but in a way that is friends, that is community, that is where we live. And so, as a result, I'd like to show you this video <laughs> that kind of tells a little bit about that and kind of shows you a little bit about what happened. And after that, we're gonna sing a song together. So let's check that out. 